This is the Bema Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we try to learn from Jesus' puzzling explanation for the parable of the weeds. Yeah, we kind of left that parable hanging when we went through it the first time. We used it to talk about parable mechanics. Introduced all our listeners to Pardes. It was a good, it was a good time, but we never really dealt with the parable itself. It is um, kind of funny how it seemed to have stuck with the disciples. Like Jesus tells this parable. Yeah. And then he goes on to talk about mustard seed and yeast that we talked about last episode. And then they go in the house and the disciples are like, uh, what can, can we talk about the weeds again for right. a second? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the seed and the yeast was like easy, easy for them. And they were like, oh yeah, it's Sarah. And that's yeah. Ezekiel 17. Like or maybe that, they but... didn't even remember it. Maybe <laughs> one, one disciple was like, Hey, do you guys remember this thing? And like, they wrote it down later. Cause because they were told, but in the moment, like right. eleven out of twelve didn't even didn't even hear it. It'd be so good to know all the back details to all this stuff. I got some notes today. If it sounds like I'm reading a little bit here and there, it's because I am. But uh, let's start, Brent, by let's jump back and just remember the parable first as Jesus told it. So give us the address and then read us the parable. All right, Matthew 13, starting in 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. All right, so just to remind us of the context of what's happening here, we have a whole chapter here almost, essentially, of parables that Jesus tells, as Matthew tells it. Now, there is a good chance that, um, I mean, there's going to, let me go through this here. We got the parable of the soils, followed by the weeds, followed by the parable of the mustard seed, and then yeast. Then Jesus is going to explain the weeds. He's going to talk about the parable of a treasure, the parable of a pearl. He's going to talk about fish that are caught in a net, like all these parables. There is a good chance that similar to what we talked about when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, that all these parables were told in different places at different times, and Matthew has decided to catalog them all together as one. This time, while I do believe that about the Sermon on the Mount, I do not personally think that's what's happening here in, in, in Matthew 13, because these parables appear to be all tied together and told by Jesus on purpose. Now, I don't know if he told them as one big long conversation, back to back to back to back to back, or if maybe this was like his only teaching over the course of a whole day. Or what? I, I don't know how it all worked, but I do believe that this is one conversation that Jesus is intentionally tying together. He talks about the parable of the soils. That kind of sets it up. Like he tells this parable and essentially says to his disciples, which soil are you? Like, I, I, want, I want you to wonder about which soil you are because I'm about to really challenge people to think, to dig, to he who has ears, let him hear. And so I want you to know what kind of soil you are, because I'm about ready to launch into a bunch of parables. And then he goes into the weeds, not goes into the weeds, but goes into the parable of the weeds. Let me phrase that appropriately. And um, so many puns there. Uh, and and then he, he goes from there into like the parable of the seed, the mustard seed, and the yeast. And then it says they leave that place. 
And again, I feel like that was one. I feel like this is the same day, the same conversation. He tells all these parables to the crowds, he tells it to the disciples in the midst of the crowds. And then they go and they step into a house. And now the disciples pull Jesus aside and go, oh, okay, okay, hold on. Can you go back to the whole weeds thing? And that's when he gives this explanation, if you want to call it that. So go ahead and read his explanation, Brent. Give us the address on that. Uh, so this is starting in verse 36. And and this does, actually, I was just kind of browsing through this. So at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake, the crowds gather around. He starts talking about the soils. Uh, he talks about the weeds uh-huh. and the mustard seed and the yeast. Then at the beginning of the explanation of the weeds, right there, it says he, he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples Great. followed him. And then uh, later at the end of the passage, um, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. I love so that. It, it definitely feels like, yes, if like, not necessarily in a single day, it's like, this is one thing that he was talking about and he needed to finish it before he moved on to something else. Correct. I love how you've pulled those verses out. Cause that's, that's how I've always read it. There's Jesus has this rabbinical moment where he wants to go out and teach. He goes out and teaches and then goes into the house and then teaches his disciples even more. And then from there, the story continues to move on. All right. So here's his explanation. I like that. Verse 36. Verse 36 of 13. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Was that uh, NIV? It was. Oh, wow. Okay. A couple different changes I wasn't used to from the old enemy in there. Um, Okay, so first, let's just make, I want to make three observations about this. Short one, long two, and then a short three. Uh, First explanation that I want to, observation, should I say, that I want to make, is um, considering the things we've learned about Eastern teaching and the art of discovery, can you kind of give us a one or two sentence? What do I mean by that, Brent? Uh, Art of discovery is like you are kind of led into the general vicinity of a truth and you have to explore to find it. Right. And the last thing that an Eastern teacher is going to do is explain something. So this is a, this is a weird request and whatever it is that the disciples are asking, like we, we just read it and are like, of course they want an explanation, but in their world, like we do exactly right. But, but they're not asking it in the same way that we do. We would not expect Jesus to actually explain the parable just right off the bat. We need to like, if what we say about Eastern teachers is true, we would not expect him to just be like, okay, take out your notebooks. I'm going to explain everything point by point. He's going to explain it, but he's going to do something else. Um, this situation does not disappoint our expectations. Jesus doesn't explain much of anything, and the disciples don't seem to balk at that. So in Jesus' explanation, uh, let me see, the last thing I have written here, all the rabbi does is further clarify the variables and elements of the parable. So there is some clar- clarity, there is some clarifying that Jesus does, but he still doesn't actually explain the parable at all. Like he doesn't explain the mechanics, he doesn't actually explain the point. And I know that I've taught this before and people have been like, no, 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 he totally explains the parable. And if we just stop for a moment and go back and just read it at at face value of what he says, Jesus doesn't explain anything. What I love about what we do with Jesus' teaching 
is Jesus will tell a parable of the weeds and we will just go, we'll just go to work about Peshat and typically not even good Peshat half the time. And we will use our theology to explain what the parable of the weeds means, not even knowing how the rabbinical mechanics of Jewish hermeneutics work. Like we don't even gauge the parable how it's supposed to be engaged. But then, but then the, but then the disciples come and ask him for an explanation because apparently they're so stupid that they can't do what we did just a moment ago and we explained it so flippantly. And then Jesus gives an explanation, but apparently Jesus's explanation isn't good enough because we have to come swooping in with our theology to like explain Jesus's explanation. Like, aren't we lucky? Isn't Jesus lucky that he has us Bible scholars to come in and like fix his teaching? Like, it's just so asinine and ridiculous. <laughs> uh, end rant. Yes. Yeah, All right. Very good. Yeah, that was very good. Thank you for pulling me off of that. <laughs> but what Jesus does here is he does not explain the parable. If you just read it without trying to explain it for him, his explanation doesn't actually explain. So the next thing that I would, second observation is that I would notice that Jesus does not even hint at the rabbinical mechanics of the teaching. There is no mention of Peshat, Remez, or Drash. In fact, one even begins to wonder if Jesus's explanation actually becomes a secondary teaching. What I mean by that is, is, is Jesus not even explaining anything? Is Jesus actually taking his Peshat, his, his Remez, his Drash, and actually adding additional Peshats, additional Remezes, and additional Drashes to the conversation? Are there more elements of Remez hid, hidden in this explanation? Is his explanation supposed to be a Drash? This would not be surprising if this is a good rabbi, and I think us Jesus followers are going to say he's the best. This is getting more complicated by the minute. So, so Jesus, it, it would seem to me as a Jewish reader that Jesus' explanation actually just continues to compound. It does bring clarity simply by compounding the nature of the parable itself. Like he's taking the same themes, he's taking the same teaching points, but he's building even more, more layers, more remezes, more, he's pulling you to the same place he originally wanted to pull you, but he's doing it using the exact same methods that he originally did it to begin with, which I don't think the disciples are going to be like, oh man, are you kidding me? I think they're, they're somewhat asking for that. They're like, okay, we're at a dead end, Jesus. We need to go back to that parable help us out. And Jesus gives them a little bit more detail, but also gives them even more to wrestle with, if that makes any sense. So if we were to look at that passage, Brent, what kind of things jump out to you? If we're just trying to think of, well, first of all, what's what's just the Peshat? Let's just go Peshat. What's the Peshat? What are things we can gather from the Peshat of this parable? So in his explanation, he clarifies who some of the people are. Okay. Uh, so he's talking about the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the people of the kingdom. Okay. It kind of okay. fits okay. with what sure. we might have thought from the okay. original parable. Yep. Don't think about it too hard because when we start thinking about the details, it actually gets really squishy. But yes, you're right. Uh, the weeds are, are people of the evil one. It's like, yeah, okay, weeds are bad. Okay. Makes okay. sense. Okay. Uh, the enemy is the devil. Sure. Okay. Uh, harvest is the end of the age. Okay. Okay. So we're clarifying some characters here. Harvesters Absolutely. are angels. I feel like that's maybe an okay. interesting point that okay. uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of from the right, right, original right. one. Okay. Pulled up, burning the fire into the age. Angels. He's just kind of like, you know. 
Okay, so let's walk through this kind of step by step. He sets up the story. He says, uh, "Let's go." If we're going back to the original parable, he says, "A farmer has a field. Who's the farmer? Uh, the farmer is God. The God, God right? And they, he sent this person to sow seed. The Son of Man, right? Sow and seed. And uh, but then an enemy comes. So this this field is essentially what did you say? Uh, the field was supposed to be the um, what did it say? I might have misled you there. The field is the world. The field is the world, right? So in this world here, we have people that are following Adonai and his ways and people that are not following Adonai and his ways. And of course, when people become aware of this, and I I would think that the parable is talking not just about the obvious, but, oh, here's a piece that would be helpful. Here's a context piece. Um, The tares here, when it talks about weeds and wheat, the tares and the wheat, um, Typically, what I think in the context everybody's going to assume here is, and, and even I think one of the remezes possibly at play here, is um, there is wheat, and then there is uh, what's called shibboleth, or shibboleth um, in the Hebrew. Actually shows up in the book of Judges in the story of Jephthah, in Judges 13-ish, and um, the 14? Jesus, nope, that's going to be before that, Judges 11 or 12, sorry. Leading you astray there. Just read the whole book of Judges. You'll find it. Judges. You'll bump into it. But Shabbat is if you were to maybe you can do this, Brent. Maybe you can find an image on Google that we could borrow. uh, Something called bastard wheat. So there is wheat, and then there's bastard wheat, and that is the kind of tares that they would have encountered in the land of the Middle East. Tear is a bad thing. Yes, tear is the weed. Right. And the problem is, is when the tares. You can't tell when they're originally growing. Like I've been over in Israel and looked at Shibboleth. Um, You can't tell that it's not wheat. Like it looks at the beginning of its growth just like wheat. And you cannot tell until it becomes time for harvest. And the wheat all of a sudden stands out by bowing over. The wheat actually bows. The grain itself bows. And the tear stands straight up. And you don't, when you're looking at it at the beginning of its growth curve, you just look at it and you just see a field of what looks like to be the same thing. But then later, all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. So the parable makes sense in context. Somebody came in and sowed tares and you don't notice it till you're getting closer to harvest. And all of a sudden the people go, oh my goodness, farmer, farmer Jesus, farmer God, do you want us to go pull out all the weeds? And the farmer says, no. Don't do that because you might misidentify wheat and pull out wheat in the process. And and so that context probably helps us a bunch with Peshat because just the Peshat takeaway is, listen, there are people that are of the kingdom and people that are not of the kingdom. And there are things that are of the kingdom and things that are not of the kingdom. And yes, our job here in this world is to discern between light and darkness, to be able to discern between weeds and wheat, and yet do not try to do God's job. Because only God at the time of the harvest, with the help of his angels, to use the language in the explanation, only God will be able to identify what is truly weeds and truly wheat. And the problem is, as we might misidentify wheat as weeds. And God says, don't do that. That Peshat, by the way, is super, I don't know what the word is, convicting, applicable, practical for us today in the evangelical church. We love to run around and label wheat and try to expunge it from the kingdom, try to get rid of it. 
Jesus says on a very Peshat level, don't do that. So this is, we're talking about the elimination of weeds. Like we're identifying that and we're getting rid of it wholesale. Correct. That's a, a distinction from you'll know a tree by its fruit. Sure. Absolutely. You're making an identification. You're not making a judgment. Right. Absolutely. Uh, great distinction. Yes. The difference between the judgment when God, when Jesus says, don't judge others because you too will be judged versus the process of discernment of having to look at and discern whether or not a tree has good fruit or not. Uh, great distinction. Great point to pull up there. I don't know if we're going to have a picture in the show notes. I'm okay. not finding anything not good. Finding anything? But I think, I think the image, you can... You can imagine right. in your mind fairly easily. All right. All right. I know I use a bunch of that in my stuff, so it's just whether or not we have some public use images. Is that the problem? Well, there's that, and yeah, right. Right. sourcing right. is support. Yeah, anyway. All right. All right. If we can find it, it'll be there. If we can't, do your own Google search. Just uh, let me put it this way, Brent. If they were to Google image search bastard wheat or... Yeah, you could do that. You can, okay. You'll They're find, finding you'll the right find something, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't okay. know. Enjoy perusing Google for that. Um Let's see here. Uh, where were we at? So Peshat, okay? And then, so let's just think Remezes, Brent. Now, just look at that passage. Let's just, without actually identifying the Remezes and doing all the work for our listeners, let's just, you just walk through that passage there and tell me what kind of Remezes you find. The explanation part? Yes, the explanation. Like, what could Jesus be adding just in the explanation? Not even in the original parable, but when he explains, what, Reme- what Remezes could he possibly be using here? Um, so you've got, you've got seed, Sowing seed. Okay. You've got uh, Son of Man. Son of Man being a reference to what dominant book? Daniel. I mean, it could be or the Ezekiel, Ezekiel usage, but we would assume Daniel here, right? The Messianic I mean, he character. was just talking Ezekiel stuff, so... Yeah, it's true. You always got to be aware of that, but there's a potential it could be Daniel, right? Okay. Uh, you've got the field. Okay. I don't know how often fields come up. Probably right. a lot, but yeah. you could maybe find something Definitely there. Definitely a theme here in a lot of these parables, by the way. Uh, let's see, you've got, uh, yeah, good seed again. You've got weeds, you've got the evil one, you've got, uh, the devil, you've got an enemy in general. Okay. Uh, you have the end of the age. I don't know how, I mean, that, that phrase, the end of the age, that might be a good one to Yeah, right. Check okay. out. Yep. No, that's good. Um, harvesters are angels. Might want to see where angels yes. show up and what they're okay. doing. Yep. Especially in reference to the son of man, potentially. Uh-huh. Um, uh, weeds pulled up and burned in a fire. You could check out where fire shows up. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Cause of sin, a uh, blazing furnace. I mean, that definitely feels like Daniel. Especially when the actual term that's used there is fiery furnace. So that's definitely going to bring up Daniel, which connects us back to the son of man image. I feel like there's probably some connections there. You've got weeping and gnashing of teeth, which feels like a fairly uh, unique phrase. Absolutely. It's going to show up in the book of Jeremiah, by the way. And in fact, a couple of those references are even going to be connected to the idea of furnace. That is in a couple of places where Jeremiah talks about the valley of ben Hinnom, um, where they sacrifice children to Molech. And he says, I'm going to make this a trash dump and a trash heap. And a couple of references in Jeremiah, because I only know this, Brent, because I've been writing out Jeremiah recently in my disciplines. I've been typing out Jeremiah. And I know I have typed out at least twice in Jeremiah, talking about the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, I have typed the phrase, weeping, the great weeping and misery, and I believe I have typed gnashing of teeth twice. Um, so there are all these remezes. They're not just standalone phrases, but remezes that call us back to the text. 
And finally, you have the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Ooh, father. And that, that whole sentence feels like there could be several absolutely. several points of, of hint there. Absolutely. Um, let me just do another thing that's probably a horror. This is like the worst place to do this, I realize. But I'm going to jump over to another translation, Brent. If I'm on BibleGateway.com or the version Bible app or anything you might use that has different translations, almost always one of the translations you can choose from is the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Now... I need to tell people, this is not my favorite translation. Half the time, I think this translation is not good. I don't know if I'll use the term garbage, but not good. But what I do love about the Orthodox Jewish Bible is it will leave a lot of the words untranslated. And so when people are always asking me, like, how, did, how do I learn Hebrew? Well, I don't, A, I don't know Hebrew. I know how to study Hebrew. I know how to access Hebrew. The Hebrew that I have learned, I have learned by being self-taught. I have memorized blessings through the years of reciting different blessings and prayers and studying word studies and those things, I have picked up different principles of trans, but I am not an, I am not a Hebrew expert. But one of the things that does make me better and better and better with Hebrew is I will actually use the Orthodox Jewish Bible to read because the more Hebrew words I expose myself to, the more I get used to Hebrew. So I'm going to go to the Orthodox Jewish Bible here. And the reason that I wanted to do this originally before I pulled it up is almost always when I read the Orthodox Jewish Bible, and if anybody pulls up Matthew 13, they're going to see this, you're going to see references in brackets to Old Testament passages. So wherever the Orthodox Jewish Bible believes that a passage is referencing an Old Testament text, it's going to say so in the brackets, which I love because it often will help me think or find the remes in a teaching, or at least open up opportunities and things I need to be thinking about or considering. So just like Bible Gateway, I love to expose our listeners and my students to tools that they can use to get better and better at better at using these mechanics. So the Orthodox Jewish Bible is one of the places that I do that. So I don't know, I'm just going to read here and any of our listeners could be pulling this up and read along with me. What did we say? We start in 36. Uh, then having sent away the multitudes... Rebbe, Melach HaMoshiach, came in into the Bice. If you remember us talking about the Beit of, Beit, Bice, the house. And Moshiach's Talmudim approached him, saying, Explain to us the Mashal of the weeds of the field. And answering, Rebbe, Melach HaMoshiach, said, The sower of the Zerav Tov is Ben HaAdam. And, and the field is HaOlam Chazeh. And the Zerav Tov, the good seed, these are the Bene Hamachut. And the weeds, these are the Bene Hara. You'll notice some of these words you've been picking up on probably before. Things like Ain Tova and Ain Ra'a. And here is uh, Bene Hamachut, which is children of the kingdom. Machut is kingdom. And then there's uh, Bene Hara. There's that, like Ain Ra'a. Hara, there's that same kind of idea in that same word. This isn't really relevant to our conversation today, but I love exposing people to new ideas and new tools. That's why I'm doing this today. Um, and then you'll notice there it references Genesis 3.15. Is that a remez to Genesis 3.15? Eh, maybe. We could think about that, talk about that. But typically when I read these passages, that happens almost every other verse or so. It's not here in Matthew 13. Horrible example of this. But that's the kind of thing that you're going to find. Um, and we could keep reading from that. But I just wanted people to see that, expose themselves to that. Um, actually, when I keep, I, I do keep reading and I, I bump into things like uh, the Oyev, 
sowing them is the Hasatan, which I love reading that because that we just translate it Satan, but Ha Shatan, Ha Shatan, Ha is the definitive article. So what's literally said, and, and Matthew's not written in the Hebrew like it could have been, but that's not the manuscript we have. But how a Hebrew hears Satan is Hashatan, and that means the Satan, the accuser, the adversary. Uh, it has a definitive article with it. Uh, and the Katsir, harvest, that is Haketz Olam, and the Katsirim, which is the harvesters, are Malachim. Now, Malachim, angels, that's also connected to messengers. So now I start wrestling with, okay, now wait a minute. Is this like angels, angels? Or could the reference be, and I'm not saying it is, but reading it, exposing myself to the Hebrew just unlocks a whole other set of questions for me as I study it. Could Jesus be saying that a part of this process of approaching the harvest is the work of the messengers? I don't know. I don't know. Is it angels? But I love wrestling with those kinds of questions. So nevertheless, um, not a whole lot we're pulling from that, but I love to expose people to that as we're looking for remezes. And of course, if we unlock the remez, we obviously tie ourselves into the potential drashas. All right, let me make my final observation here. Third, third observation is that this teaching is quite clearly a validation of the three-part Jewish eschatology. I mean, notice how clearly the this parable does not work with a two-part. If you had a two-part eschatology, you come in, you identify the weeds, and you're here to do away with the weeds. The harvest is here. If it's three-part eschatology, it means the harvest is not yet here yet. It means we've planted some seed. The harvest is later, and we now have to live in a world where weeds and wheat grow together. In two-part eschatology, there are no weeds and wheat growing. This is probably the clearest parable, uh, or the parable that gives the clearest affirmation of three-part Jewish eschatology. It literally talks about this, these two ages overlapping, these two ages dwelling together and living together and not pulling them apart. Um, When we looked at the teaching of John the Baptist and his questioning of Jesus, Jesus continues to insist that the kingdom is like a seed or leaven or weeds and wheat that grow together. On a Peshat level, it's very easy to see that Jesus' teaching should call us away from our uh, our modern feeling of needing to be the world's morality police and win the culture wars. In fact, Jesus commands us to not root out the weeds that are inherent among the wheat. This is important because no matter how discerning we are, we will misidentify some of them and uproot some of the wheat that God has planted. And I don't want to be a part of making that mistake. Brent, not sure if you do, but I certainly do not. It should also be noted that this explanation is followed immediately with a series of more parables. Like, so Jesus told, to go back to our timeline, Jesus told a bunch of parables. Then he went into a house the disciples ask for explanations, and while he's in the house, you pointed out, he then tells a whole bunch more parables. Now, in my mind, I would expect those parables to mimic what, Brent? The first few. The first set. There's almost like two sets of parables. There's the public parables, and there's the private parables. And I would expect the private parables to simply reaff- – they're asking for explanations – If Jesus just gave a body of teaching outside to the crowds, I would expect him to, behind closed doors, basically reaffirm the entire line of thought that we had outside with the crowds. Does that make sense? So he has four parables that he gives publicly. Yes. Then he comes inside, he explains one and gives three additional ones. Exactly. So we have four and four. Exactly. 
could there be a, and what I'm suggesting is there is a parallelism just intentionally because he's going to make the exact same teaching points. I don't know if there's a chiasm at all, Um, but I do, I would expect him to be like, I just made a teaching point with four parables. You're asking for an explanation. So let me make the same point all over again with four additional parables just to solidify the teaching point, which if your head is starting to explode at this point, like, wait a minute. He already gave parables so that people won't understand, and he's explaining them with more parables that are even harder to understand. The answer with a smile on my face, which you can't see, is yes, absolutely, because that's how Jewish teaching works. This, I mean, this is, this is their whole life. It like is. age five, you start memorizing Torah. By age 10, you're done. By age 13, you have the rest of the Old Testament scriptures memorized. Like... Like we say, we say, you know, when we're talking about memorization, you know, take one part and then set it aside. They're not setting anything aside. They have the entire scriptures memorized. Correct. Then they study under a rabbi for years. Like Jesus is 30 years old before he's doing what he's doing. He's been neck deep in this stuff for 25 years, living and breathing this text. Like they know it so well. It's insane. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's just not our reference points. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that over and over again. Well said. All right, let me finish off some notes here. These additional parables should be seen, the the ones we're going to talk about. We have a few more podcasts ahead of us, Brent, still talking about parables. So these additional parables that we're going to talk about should be seen as part of his explanation to his disciples. So the teaching should operate like this. Jesus tells the parables of the sower with his explanation, quote unquote, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed and the woman with her yeast. Jesus is then asked by his disciples about the weeds, probably because this confronts their deeply held beliefs about how the kingdom of God will come. Like I'm betting the disciples are like, okay, we understand the teaching, but are you telling us that you are not here to bring the kingdom of God? Like crashing in two-part eschatology? And so Jesus responds with an explanation, quote unquote, of the weeds, the treasure in a field, a pearl of great price, and the fish in a net. Therefore, it would be safe to assume that the meanings of the following parables are going to be further teachings, deeper understandings of his perplexing original teachings. Are there things you will find in the parable of the weeds and the wheat, Peshat, Ramez, Drash? I think there are, but frankly, I'm still working on it. You'll notice, Brent, we still didn't really offer up solid answers on what the Ramezes are what the Drashes could be. And part of that is because I'm trying to avoid the fact that I, as a teacher, don't really feel like I've nailed down the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Not in the original parable and not even in the explanation. Like there are some hunches, but nothing that I've put together that I would present in a podcast. So there's, I mean, we pulled out a lot of potential avenues of of exploration. Like there's so many ways you could go with it and probably several of them that make some sense. And it's like, well, which one was Jesus talking about? Correct. And I love to point that out with my listeners because I've been doing this for years, like a decade, having the tools. And there are a lot of things I still don't have like... I've got some hunches, but I don't, I still feel like there's more that I'm still learning and that's okay. I don't stay up at night going, I have to get an answer to that or I shouldn't be teaching. Like I know what I'm looking for and I'm now waiting to discover new things. I don't know if you've said this on the podcast before, but what's that, the uh, Jewish idea uh, or the, the Jewish um, perspective when you come across a passage that you don't understand? Oh yes, absolutely. See a Westerner, when we bump into a passage that we don't know, we often get frustrated and perplexed and shake our fists and it causes us to like push away from the Bible. When an Easterner, especially somebody in the rabbinic tradition, studying the text runs across something they don't understand and they're not even close to understanding. 
they dance and they dance for the day that they they know that this passage god has given them this passage that they don't understand for some future date when it will finally open their eyes and so they dance not for that day but they dance because someday there's a future day where they will celebrate like they'll have that aha moment like oh yes and and if we could start engaging the scriptures like that here's a passage i have no idea what to do with oh man i cannot wait for the day that god blows the doors open on that that will be a good day and we smile and we dance and we keep digging in and we keep studying because we know that that's how God loves to reveal truth. That would change the way that we study the Bible. Thanks for asking me that. And that's definitely like, that happens to us as Westerners anyway. Like Correct. we have stuff that we don't understand no matter how hard we try. And then some point in the future, it's opened up and it's like, whoa, right. I just like, I can't believe I didn't get that before. Right. And it's a crazy moment. Uh, so the point is just have that that joyous perspective the entire time rather than being depressed about it for right you know 30 years and then having just that one moment of celebration right let your whole life be a celebration yet so uh i want to end with a question brent we have a question for our listeners to we don't always do this this isn't typical for us breaking from the 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 the, the uh, mold here a little bit but um we have a question to leave our listeners, and that is circling back around to Jesus' first parable. What's our question, Brent? Which soil are you? Which soil are you? Here's a parable that I'm not even confident I understand completely yet. I'm still wrestling with it. I want, I'm curious to make our, our listeners wrestle with which soil are you? As we, as we go through session three here, we get to parables. We're wrestling with the teachings of Jesus. Like, are you a listener of the podcast? You're just like, I don't know. I don't get it. I'll be glad when I get done with session three. I'll be glad when I get done with parables. Like, move on to something new. Like, are you the path where it's like, a, whatever, whatever, who cares? Um, I would say stop listening, but if, if they've stopped listening, they're not hearing me ask the question. So I don't know. Do we have any path listeners? Do we have listeners that are like the rocky soil where it's like, oh man, I, I love, I love learning these things. I love listening to your guys' podcast. It's so great, but they don't actually ever do the work of building deep roots for themselves. Do we have listeners that are like the thorns? Like they do it. They understand the message. They do the work. They understand the invitation of the kingdom of God. And they even know what God's calling them to do. But the worries of the world and all the things that they've got to do and the degrees that they've got to have and the job that they got to get and all the to-do lists and wealth and security, does it choke it out and make it unfruitful? And do we have people that are good soil? Like they're doing the work. They're learning how to dive into the text. My guess is to challenge some of our listeners. I don't want to make our listeners mad. We love you all. We really do. We love every single one of you. But if I were to challenge you pastorally as a teacher from afar, uh, on the other side of a podcast, it would be, I bet we have a lot of listeners that are rocky soil. Love to listen to a podcast. We love learning all the beautiful nuggets. We love getting all the Jewish wisdom. We love learning all these things that makes us feel smarter and seem smarter at a Bible study. But I'm betting we have a lot of people that have so much more work to do, so much more digging to do, to, to, to grow deep roots, to become people that have ears to hear. I'm, I'm betting that there are a lot of us that need to come too. And I know it was me for a long, long time. Um, but there, there are a lot of us that need to grab some shovels and do some digging and start building our root systems. Rocky soils. Just to challenge you, give you something to think about. That's it, Brent. That's all I got. All right. Good challenge. 
Uh, if you have any questions about the show, you can go to BaymaDiscipleship.com. You can get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.